The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you a little money. My job is not just to explain, to educate, but put days like today into context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Most of the time, traders have the memory of a mayfly. Many of them couldn't even tell you what they bought or sold two days ago. But one thing they do remember is a trip to Jackson Hole. Oh, they hated it. Took them three months to get over the experience, and incredibly, they didn't even go. I'm talking about Fed Chief Jay Powell's trip to Jackson Hole last year when he lowered the boom on the whole market. He told us the economy was way too hot. We needed higher interest rates for longer if we were ever going to beat inflation. From that late August vacation through October 13th, the entire stock market got laid to waste as so few people had seen Powell's sucker punch coming. So this year, on the eve of Powell's Jackson Hole speech, we still don't have inflation under control. The traders expect them to come out swinging yet again. That's why they sold everything today, especially tech. They don't want to be put through the meat grinder once again, which is what they are now expecting. It's why they got such a break when the market opened up because of NVIDIA. That's why everything got crushed today. Dow tumbling 374 points. S&P plunging 1.35%. NASDAQ plummeting a brutal 1.87%. The house of pain. The traders are willing to sell at any price to avoid repeating last year. Here's Jackson Hole experience. Sell, sell, sell. Can you blame him? Jay Powell's a man of reason, but he's got to be in shock that his tough on inflation strategy hasn't done much harm to the actual economy. Normally, the Fed tightens like crazy. You get mass layoffs, stores closing left and right. A year ago, so many money managers figured that by this point in the rate hike cycle, Powell could declare victory in the world and inflation finally stopped tightening. We were very optimistic before that last trip to Jackson Hole. One year later, traders are throwing out stocks, even the great stocks like NVIDIA, which had a remarkable quarter last night. They're getting on their knees and they're praying that they won't get fooled again. But if you want to be an investor, not just a trader, I think you need to take a longer term view. It's true the economy was running too hot a year ago, but so was inflation. Now, though, we're actually in a different situation. 
The economy is running hot, but inflation isn't. In fact, inflation is slowing. Some people say slowing dramatically. And it doesn't do so without wrecking the entire economy. Of course, it's not uniform. Home prices are still up 40% from 2019, although now it looks like they finally may be headed lower. Mortgage rates are so high, we might even get a buyer strike while houses and apartments keep getting built, something that could actually lead to much lower prices than we've seen in a long time. Cars are pretty much in the same place, but now they're in abundance. Remember, they had supply chain problems? No more. And they need to be discounted to move them off the lot. The auto companies are bulking up production because they expect some tough union bargaining. So tough that President Biden, the most pro-union president in living memory, might need to crack down and actually side with management just to keep the industry running. If Biden steps in soon after the September 14th bargaining deadline, then the auto companies will have way too many vehicles in the lots because they're pumping them out like crazy now ahead of the, of the of possible strike. And then prices will have to come down even more than they already have. And again, Powell will win that battle. But you know what? Lower housing and car prices were supposed to happen last year, not this year. It took way too long. And I think Powell can leave anything more to, can't leave anything more to guesswork at this point. He's got to be sure he's going to win. Maybe he'll be appeased that wages aren't going higher anymore, at least at the starting level. You can't job hop your way to wealth in this environment. But is that enough for Powell to declare victory against inflation? Not so fast. Weren't wages supposed to be going down by now? Weren't there supposed to be a wave of bankruptcies, not just one, Bed Bath & Beyond, but dozens of them? Shouldn't we have whole department stores turn into pickleball courts? That's how it's supposed to play out when the Fed takes interest rates from zero to over 5% in less than a year and a half. But it hasn't happened. That's what everyone's so scared about. Instead, we're still struggling with mild to moderate inflation rather than skyrocketing inflation. The rich can complain that their margaritas made with Clos Azul now cost $90 instead of just $70. The regular coffee drinkers still trying to figure out how that latte got to be $7. And how come they have to fly to Iceland first to get to Europe because regular nonstop plane tickets now cost as much as first class did two years ago? So Powell has to go once more into the breach, dear traders, once more. And many have decided that history's got to repeat itself. So they dumped NVIDIA et al. And that's how this market reversed from splendid highs this morning. It wasn't about some piece of hair on the amazing quarter we got from NVIDIA last night, although a lot of people tried to find some today because they saw it going down. They made up a lot of stories. Nor were it the sharp words from Snowflake's Frank Slootman, who chided the analysts for not being able to understand that his business just got better in July. He chided them anyway. I think he thinks they're a bunch of dopes. Probably not. That was mean. You can't blame Powell for wanting lower inflation. That's the job. You can blame the Mayflies for leaping, taking profits in the mega caps out of fear, though. I mean, geez, there sure was a lot of it. They might not even know, though, what they're selling because they're really just dumping the S&P 500 futures. And it might not occur to them that the S&P's heavily weighted toward the mega caps. These traders don't have time to learn the stories, though I know this because I'm a bit of an anthropologist of the hedge fund species. I know they go out many nights a week and see and do things. I wish I had their lives. And they, have, they eat a lot of expensive dinners where they don't even look at the bill because that'd be poor form. Did they read what Sluman really said on Snowflake's earnings call? Oh, my God, it was too late. It was, they, they, were, they had gone out and had such a good time. They couldn't. Hey, did they listen to Jensen Wong and Colette Kress on NVIDIA's triumphant call? No, they had somebody else who was like 17 look out for him. Did they hear? Uh, but they bothered him to check out what Mary Dillon said when she uh, launched the nuclear warhead on the heads of Foot Locker shareholders. Nah, they just looked at the calendar and laid off the risk to the portfolios by selling futures as a hedge. Me, I'm stuck with the travel trust, but I have to know the stocks. The trust that is one mantra. Uh, that was really important today, which is own NVIDIA, don't trade it. That goes right along with Apple, own Apple, don't trade it. We're exposed to long-held positions for the trust. And as we told members of the CNBC Investing Club, we own pieces of good companies. We don't trade them. We don't own the futures. We don't sell the futures. When these stocks go down, we get to pick more 
buy more of these pieces of companies, and we do it at a discount. And we think Powell's speech from on high just might be the chance to get into some of our favorite stocks and get a little more exposure to the broader economy, meaning the stocks might get hit tomorrow, but the businesses will do just fine, regardless of what the Fed actually does. Even if Powell says he needs to take rates to 6% to beat inflation, the secular growth stories that we own will be unharmed. I say bring on 6% if that's what it is takes. You see, what Powell has failed to do is break the inflationary mindset. He hasn't yet crushed the idea that you need to buy stuff now because the price is inevitably headed higher. Here's the bottom line. I think Powell's goal is to create an environment where if you wait, things will only get cheaper. And because we aren't there yet, he's not done slamming the brakes on the economy. Then next year, he can declare victory in the war against inflation, which would be a huge win for the stock market. But you have to anticipate that. You have to take some pain now to get the gain later. Sadly, how the big money is lost and then made costs a lot of pain initially. Oh, but it is nirvana when we get there. House of pleasure. Harish in South Carolina. Harish. Booyah, Jim. Listing you since last 15 years. You have given best advice, made good money. And also I'm a club member. Oh, so thank you. I have a very good question about what is your thought process for long-term as well as short-term on MangoDB. All right, MangoDB is absolutely the classic software enterprise company. It does all the great things you want out of, you know, it, it does automating, monitoring, deployment. When I hear things like that, you know what I say? Go buy the stock of service now. Let's go to Michael in California. It's Michael. Booyah, Jim. Thank you so much for having me on of your course, show. Of course, Michael. What's up? I was wondering what you think of the Broadcom stock after its merger with VMware. Is it a buy or is it a sell? Broadcom, today, we did it. We pulled the trigger for the Chapel Trust, and members of CMC Investing Club know the reasons, and I suggest you subscribe, and you get all of them. One great piece of thought pattern that we put out today. Let's go to Sohail in New Jersey. Sohail. Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do. Uh, it's Excellent. amazing. A lot of insights on the market. Thank you. End of uh, summer almost. Is there hope for AMC? Well, AMC is a cold stock. Uh, that means it's what we call it. What do we call these? Are, we call them controlled stocks. They're controlled by people who are way out of our hands. And I got to tell you, I mean, if you ask me if it wasn't a controlled stock, I didn't want to own it. But there are people who can take it up at a moment's whim because we have a lot of people who are in the market who don't play it by the same rules as I do. They have their own rules, and I appreciate that, and I wish them the best of luck. The market is preparing for Powell's speech tomorrow, and I want you to be prepared for whatever he may throw at you. His words could be just what we need to get some of our favorite stocks in at lower prices. Home Money tonight. We're wrapping up our series of beaten down names by reviewing the final five stocks that have, that have lived in the doghouse during the month of August. And I think they could all be worth looking at here. Then Wall Street is worried about the state of the consumer. So is there still money to be made in the retailers? I'm revealing one corner of the retail cohort that I'm still a big fan of. And yes, you called me in, you stopped me on Vistra and Coursera, and I'm seeing if Kramerica had the right ideas and people had a horror sense when they came up with these. It's when I do my homework. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. I know this has been a brutal month, so do you. And we saw that again today when the average just totally rolled over, with even the sainted NVIDIA giving up all of its gains, despite reporting an insanely strong quarter last night. But whenever the market gets hit, you know what? They're always buying opportunities, even if you think that we're looking at more downside once we hear from Fed Chief Jay Powell tomorrow at Jackson Hole. Hey, you can use this period of weakness to actually buy the best beaten down stocks and even lower levels. That's what we do around here. And that's why I've spent all week highlighting the worst performers in the S&P 500 for August. Not the best, but the worst, in order to put out my favorites. And tonight, I've got five more for you. We'll start with American Airlines. I hardly ever talk about that one. It's riding the travel boom all throughout the spring and early summer. But it pulled back more than 23% from its highs in early July, including a 13% decline in August alone. Every airline's been under pressure because of a bunch of new domestic capacities coming online. Just consumers are really starting to feel the pinch from higher interest rates. Boy, talk about deja vu. American Airlines always got dragged down by worries about its negotiations with the pilots union. Yeah, although the union finally approved a new contract earlier this week. Going to cost the company some money, but it could have been a lot worse for the business. uh, Management seems to think that they can offset those higher wages because they didn't raise their full-year cost per available seat mile forecast yesterday, even though they said costs will be higher in the third quarter. I'm regarding it as a mixed story. All right, how about the industry-wide worries? I think they're somewhat legitimate. But these are domestic concerns. That's why I recommend circling the wagons around the airlines with the best international exposure. For that, that's United, Delta, and yes, American. While it's my least favorite of those three, American sells, sells less than five times this year's earnings estimates. 
Wall Street clearly thinks the, the numbers are about to fall off a cliff, or at least certainly not be met. So if they just hang in there, coming kind of close to where they are right now, I think the stock is going to go higher because it's got such a cheap valuation. Next up is another household name, Bank of America. Do you know the scene is down about 11% in August thanks to fears of slowing loan growth and new banking regulation? 11% is a lot for Bank of America. I think you're getting an opportunity to buy one of the best nationwide franchises at a terrific price. And I have not pushed this stock for a very long time. Remember, every time the Fed tightens, Bank of America instantly gets higher in interest margins, making them more profitable. At these levels, the stock sells for less than 1.3 times its tangible book value, a huge discount versus its long-term average. I can understand, look, I understand worrying about the smaller regional operators, but I'm not worried about Bank of America. All right, how about one that I, another that I don't talk about because these are coming down so hard, I'm, I'm talking about them tonight. Electronic Arts. That's the video game publisher with a stock that's down more than 12% month to date. Wall Street wasn't thrilled with their most recent quarter, not because of the actual results, which were solid, but because the guidance for the current quarter came in light. I'm more focused on the fact that EA actually raised its full-year earnings forecast. I think they've been doing pretty well given that this has been a tough environment for the video game industry. Plus, you need to consider the scarcity value of EA now that it looks like Microsoft will be able to buy uh, Activision Blizzard. Personally, I do prefer Take-Two Interactive. That's Strauss Zelnick doing a good job. The other big publicly traded video game publisher. But EA is certainly enticing down here, trading at less than 18 times this year's earnings. That's means it's a growth stock. Much cheaper than Take-Two. Then again, Take-Two might have a new Grand Theft Auto title coming out this year. And that's what will now coming out next year. And that's what a lot of people are excited about. Fourth is a lower-profile company that I don't talk about enough. It's called Ball Corp. They make metal packaging for food, beverages, and household products. Soda cans. Here's a stock that's down about 10% in August, and it's done almost nothing all year. The can business is tough in a world where aluminum prices are down 45% from their highest last year. Gives them less pricing power. So why bother with this Ball Corp? First of all, these guys operate in what's basically an oligopoly, meaning very limited competition. For example, they've got roughly 40% market share in metal beverage packaging across every region where they do business. That is staggering. A lot of price control here. Second and more important, Ball Corp just announced just now the sale of its non-core aerospace division last week. BAE Systems is taking it off their hands from $5.55 billion in cash. That is an excellent number. They're planning to use the proceeds to pay down debt and buy back stock. Going forward, this will be a simpler, more focused story. I never really liked the fact that they put aerospace with the, with the packaging business. I like aerospace a lot, but Ball never got much credit for its aerospace unit because it was buried within the packaging business. Finally, let's round out this series with one more beaten down industrial name that we have liked and had on the show, and that is Cummins. That's the terrific engine maker, especially for heavy-duty trucks. Lately, I've been recommending Cummins because they've made major strides into hydrogen-powered engines, which is the long-term, well, let's just say hope for big truck engines. Uh, It's going to take a long time uh, for that part of the story to play out, but they've already doing plenty in hydrogen right now, building huge electrolyzers, which are machines that produce pure hydrogen by splitting up water molecules. When Lindy announced a huge new green hydrogen production plant near Niagara Falls, they bought the the electrolyzer from Cummins. That's where you have to go. Don't forget, there's a lot of federal money from the so-called Inflation Reduction Act going into clean energy sources, and it doesn't get cleaner than green hydrogen. Now, that said, Cummins reported not so hot quarter three weeks ago. Management sounded a bit more cautious than I like. Uh, certainly some cautious more than some of the peers in the trucking industry. 
That's why the stock's been hit so hard this month. And the slow motion collapse of China certainly hasn't helped either. However, I think the worries about the core uh, engine business are already more or less baked into the stock, given that Cummins now sells for less than 12 times this year's earnings estimates. And I'm simply too excited about the longer-term hydrogen opportunity to get too worked up about management's conservative commentary on the heavy-duty truck industry. That's why I endorse buying Cummins on weakness. Here's the bottom line. While most investors have spent the, the week petrified of Jay Powell and what he will say tomorrow, we've given you 20, count them, 20 stocks that might be worth buying into any bout of weakness. So please check out these August losers and see if they might make a good addition to your portfolio. There are too many for me to point at right now and tell you to buy. That's how many great values there are. Mad Money's back in the break. Coming up. Off price, but on a tear? The discount retailers lighting up the market when we return. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed. Over the last couple of weeks, we've heard from a ton of retailers and for the most part, they're not in that good shape. But there's one segment of retail that does very well when everybody else is doing badly, and that's the off-price chains. Think TJX, Ross Stores, Burlington, or Ollie's Bargain Outlet. Roughly a year ago, we bought TJX for the Travel Trust precisely because it was becoming clear to us that there was an inventory glut in the rest of retail, allowing TJX and its off-price brethren to pick up tons of excess merchandise from struggling stores at bargain basement prices. In fact, I pounded the table on the whole group a little over a year ago. Since then, TGX and Ross are up 29% and 28% respectively, and Ollie's up 10%, trouncing a 3% gain in the S&P 500 over the same period. Only Burlington stores has lagged down roughly 8%, although the bulk of that decline came today after the company reported an ugly quarter. I want to circle back to the oil price chains here because TJX, Ross, and Burlington have all now reported, and it's important for you to understand what they're saying. 
Tijax kicked things off last Wednesday, uh, turning in an excellent set of numbers on the same day the target imploded. TGX, uh, have, they gave you 6% same-source sales growth, more than double what the analysts were looking for, with TJ Maxx, one of their divisions, and Marshalls, another, leading the way. They're seeing higher traffic everywhere. Perhaps best of all, home goods even had a 4% same-source sales growth when Wall Street was expecting only 1.3%. The home goods category is not in great shape. So the fact that TJX's home goods could put up some positive numbers, I thought that was very encouraging. Best of all, TJX raised its four-year forecast across the board. That's extremely positive. On the Coxwell, CEO Ed and Ernie Herman, who, by the way, is the least promotional of all the CEOs that I follow in reals, in, in retail, he told a terrific story about how his company can thrive in any macroeconomic environment. If you're running a retailer, excess inventory is the bane of your existence. You have to unload that old stuff before you can bring in the new stuff. TGX will take it off your hands, albeit at a very low price, and then add a little markup and sell it to value-conscious consumers. No wonder the stock's up more than 3% since the quarter. Next up, raw stores turned in a similarly strong quarter last Thursday. 5% same-store sales growth, while the analysts were only looking for 0.7%. Not bad. Big earnings beat, too. Looking forward, management issued modestly better than expected guidance for both the third and fourth quarters. Uh, although, even after raising numbers across the board, I think Ross is still being pretty conservative with his forecast. Now, CEO Barbara Randler, another non-promotional CEO, explicitly said she wants to take a cautious approach to planning in an environment uh, in, in where most consumers are struggling with higher costs. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's more upside. The only fly in the ointment, boy, was this Burlington. Mm which reported a widely panned quarter this morning that sent the stock down nearly 9%. Remember, today's an ugly day, so I think it would have been a little less if today hadn't been so horrible. But i got to tell you, Burlington's numbers were just simply weren't that bad. They were certainly not 9%, down 9% bit. These guys had 4% same-store sales growth, and it was looking for 3.1%, so that's good. While they beat a, small, uh, a smaller beat than we got from DJX and Ross, it's still a beat. Total sales were in line. On the earnings front, Burlington posted a 16-cent beat off a 44-cent basis. In short, the actual results were pretty good. So what did the stock in? At first glance, it seems to be related to the company's guidance, but there's some nuance here. First, Burlington's third-quarter guidance looked pretty darn good. They're expecting 5 to 7% same-store sales growth. I like that. Much better than what Wall Street was looking for. And they're guiding for much higher than expected earnings, too. However, and this is what got it, Burlington still trimmed its full-year outlook for certain top-line metrics. Given that the third quarter guidance is so good, that implies they expect bad things in the fourth quarter, and that's a key quarter. Management lowered their high end of their full-year same-store sales forecast. They lowered their full-year revenue forecast, and they narrowed the range of their full-year earnings forecast, although that's natural. It's neutral. Look, we obviously don't want to see full-year guidance cuts ever. But those slightly lowered numbers really didn't seem that bad to me. And that brings me to what I think is the real reason that Burlington stock sold off today, besides the fact that the stock market was not so good. It was management's tone on the conference call. In my opinion, CEO Michael O'Sullivan was just too tough on, the co- on his own company in the morning conference call, repeatedly saying uh, long-term safe-source sales numbers were below management's projections, then painting a very dire picture of the state of the low-income consumer. O'Sullivan said that there's not enough trade-down from higher-income consumers to make up for the weakness among lower-income consumers. Long story short, Burlington typically does best with lower-income customers who stretch at the moment because of inflation. Their plan for the year assumed a tougher economic environment, resulting in some trade down from higher income customers who could make up for the weaker contribution to the core low income customer. But while the low income uh, group is doing uh, poorly, the economy is a little more, more resilient than Burlington expected. 
So they haven't seen the trade down from higher income consumers that they've been expecting. That's the story. And that's why they're cutting it for your numbers. But I struggle to see why O'Sullivan went into such detail about how poorly his company did, even issuing me a culprit for getting things wrong when in reality the numbers look pretty darn good to me. As I see it, there's nothing wrong with Burlington stores. The only thing management is guilty of is TMI, too much information. It was their overkill explanation that hurt the stock today. It was very surprising. In fact, I'll say this. Even though TGX is my absolute favorite off-price stock, even though raw storage is clearly a better operator than Burlington, after this huge decline, I think Burlington can actually be bought into weakness. The only serious problem here is that management holds itself too high to too high a standard. And that's a great problem to add. Let me the bottom line here. When the rest of retail struggles, the off-price chains tend to make out like bandits. I've been recommending the whole group aggressively for a year, and I think they remain terrific buys. TGX and raw stores are straightforwardly high-quality stories. Well, I think Burlington's become a misunderstood comeback play with a stock that has simply come down too far, too fast to ignore. I want to go to Jerry in Missouri. Jerry. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Jerry. What's going on? Hey, a restaurant I've been amazed with, and to me has an enormous following, recently Mr. Quarter. Uh, do you feel like once this is corrected that Portillo's will zoom to their new highs? I think Portillo's, what's happened is the price range multiple is too high, but the uh, this was private equity. And the private equity kept, kept dumping the stock every time the stock went up. And so what I think happens, people just said, the hell with it. Like, wake me up when they're done selling, because otherwise they just keep crushing it. Memo to private equity. You, come on. Have some horse sense. Let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann. Jim, I'm a club member with horse sense, I hope. Fantastic. And let's Very see whether you do, but I'm sure because you're a member, you've got <laughs> it. What's up? <laughs> So I'm. I wanted to circle back about your article about Starbucks, right? And potential or suggested use of AI. You know, at a Starbucks or all these labor-intensive, you know, businesses. Like, what are these CEOs waiting for? Are they scared, or do they just? Does it just take time to develop, like Chippy at Chipotle or well, whatever? Went to you raise a great quote. Great point. And Laxman Narasimhan has already done some things that you don't know. He has made it so that you can do cold brewed. It, I, I would actually say almost a factor of 10 times versus what he had before. He has to struggle so much with how how bad the technology was there to begin with that he hasn't even gotten to how good it is yet. So I think you're right. And it's another good reason to own the stock. Why do people hate the stock? It's 27 times earnings and it's a real bad chart. We almost bought some today. I think it's in good shape. I like your thinking. Let's go to, to Sal in New Jersey. Sal. Booyah, Jim. How are you? Booyah. I am good. How about you? Good, good. Hey, my question for you is I bought um, Top Golf Callaway earlier this year, um, and I've, I've seen it uh, decline about 20%. My question to you is should I keep my holding or should I look to sell? No, no, don't look to sell. I, I, I actually think it's a pretty good situation. Stocks come down a lot. It's a good company. Golf is actually doing quite well. I think you stay long. You might even want to think about buying some soon. Anyway, uh, all price chains, as I said before, are the big winners versus the rest of retail, particularly with retail struggling. And TJX and Raw stores are still fantastic buys at these levels. But I also think that Burlington represents the best value after this giant decline. Much more made money yet. I'm turning in my homework on Vistra and Coursera. These are two companies you stumped me with. Then, from healthcare to oil and gas, how is it that so many sectors have become uninvestable? I'm listing the reasons, and I think you'll 
understand. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. You stump me with a name that either I don't know or haven't followed too closely. Yeah, I don't just cuff it. I always circle back if we're doing some homework. Now we got two of them. About a month ago, Georgia, Massachusetts called this about a company called Vistra, which is a mid-sized electric utility with a power generation business. I didn't recognize it because it's got a complicated story. Back in 2007, a Texas power conglomerate known as TXU, oh man, were they big, TXU Corporation, was taken private in one of the last big leverage buyouts before the financial crisis. It's loaded down with excess debt. The company, which had been renamed Energy Future Holdings after the LBO, ultimately folded in 2014. As part of the bankruptcy re- resolution process, they spun off TCEH, which then changed its name to Vistra in 2016. And that's why I didn't know it. History aside, this is an electric power generation and distribution company. They have both a regulated utility business in Texas and an unregulated power production business across the country. In recent years, Vistra's made major investments in renewables, nuclear power, and energy storage infrastructure. In March, we learned that they're buying Energy Harbor. That's a provider of carbon-free baseload electricity for $3.43 billion in cash and stock. Oh, Wall Street loved this deal. Vistra stock jumped 24% over the next couple of days. Even without Energy Harbor, business is good. This reported a strong quarter a couple weeks ago. Very encouraging numbers. My one worry here is that the stock's already run up nearly 30% for the year. Although, if everything goes right, it could have more upside. The bull case for this one isn't complicated. Vistra stands to benefit from the all-new and modified energy tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act. They're getting nuclear and solar production tax credits and battery storage tax credits. Could take a little while to play out. But Vistra's paying you to wait with a very solid 2.75% dividend yield. Plus, management's been pretty aggressive about repurchasing their shares. Get this. They bought back $2.9 billion worth of stocks since November of 2021, meaning these guys shrunk the share count by roughly 24%. It's like this company's gradually taking its own private. I think the closest comparison to Vistra could be Kramer Fave Constellation Energy, the nuclear-focused power producer that was spun off of Exelon early last year. While Vistra has a lot, of, lot less nuclear exposure than Constellation, which is almost a pure play, the stock's, almost, the stock's much cheaper. That said, I'm not ready to make the leap and endorse Vistra over Constellation, which is a much more straightforward story that we know and love. But here's what I'll say. If Vistra wants to come on the show and explain why the stock's the better option, we'd love to have more and consider it as an open invitation. Next up, back on July 31st, Taj in California asked us about Coursera which is an educational software play. I tend to not like these companies. These, this one has a platform that connects students, teachers, and institutions to provide what they call, and I quote, relevant educational content, end quote. Like so many other enterprise software plays, Coursera has been on fire since 2023, up close to 40% year-to-date. But you got to put this in perspective because also, like every other enterprise software play, the stock crashed in 2021 and 2022. In fact, Coursera was a member of the ill-fated IPO class of 2021. Even after its recent run, the stock's still down over 73% from all-time from all-time highs uh, set not that long ago. Not, you know, right when it came public. So a lot of those stocks during that period, in a three-, four-day period, that's when they went to hit their high, and then that was all over. So what's the basic story here? 
Coursera has three operating segments. They got 56% of their revenue from the consumer division, where they sell access to digital classes on their platform, everything from certifications of single courses, specializations, catalog-wide subscriptions. They get another 34% of their revenue from the enterprise division, which is in the business of selling subscription licenses to businesses and other organizations so that their members can enroll in courses. Finally, the last 10% of their sales come from universities that couldn't track with Coursera to facilitate the delivery of their bachelor's and master's degree programs. If you're a professor trying to put your lectures online, at least within the school-wide network, there's a good chance you're using Coursera. Now, considering the nature of its business, Coursera came public at the perfect time in March of 2021. This was when demand for online learning was on fire because we'd only just started getting access to our COVID vaccines. Back then, online degrees and certifications looked like the future, whether we liked it or not. So Coursera stock soared 36% on its first day of trading, uh, running from 33 to 45. Four days later, the stock soared all the way up to 62 and changed. And that's where it peaked. Then for the next 18 months, the darn thing went lower and lower and lower before finally bottoming in the high single digits, HSD, as the cool people say, last September. Since then, Corsair has been lifted along with nearly every other enterprise software play that spent 2022 in the house of pain. Of course, to the company's credit, they put together several quarters that were either good or just how about not as bad as feared, depending on your perspective. Taj in California called about Corsair a couple days after the company reported a very strong second quarter. So, so strong that the stock rallied 20% over the next two days. On the consumer side, they added 5 million learners for the 11th straight quarter, so demand for online credentials never really went away. At the same time, their university business grew at a double-digit clip. Thanks to the strength, Coursera could raise its full-year forecast. They also talked about how they're taking advantage of AI with their new virtual learning partner, Coursera Coach, that lets students ask the computer questions and get relevant personalized answers. They say they're getting a lot of demand for AI-generated content from businesses and universities. So where do I come down? Look, I can't get behind the stock here, at least not yet. Why? Uh, well, for starters, Coursera is not yet profitable and it's got negative free cash flow. So that's a no for me. Uh, there are so many good companies with actual earnings that trade at reasonable valuations, particularly if it's the most recent sell-off. Why the heck would you want to chase something that's still losing money? Second reason, we've got 3.5% unemployment. That's the lowest since the 60s. When jobs are plentiful, fewer consumers will pay up for digital classes that might help them find work. They don't need help. And the prospective employers will pay for this stuff if it's necessary. But even if Coursera t- uh, starts turning a profit and the labor market softens, I'd still be reluctant to recommend this one because I just haven't that much faith in it, as I said at the top, the ed tech space. We've seen smaller companies like 2U and Chegg uh, well, take a, the long-term charts are just terrifying. So when it comes to Coursera, pass. Bottom line, I'm not going to tell you to buy Vistra or Coursera here, but I'd love to hear from Vistra's management if they'd like to come on the show and present their story to Kramerica directly, because I, I am intrigued. So keep up the calls. Keep trying to stump me. I love learning about these new stories, especially even uh, the ones I can get behind. But I, I don't mind the ones I can't get behind either. Van Bunny's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round, next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Kramer, of course, you just the end of the car, so be your step, you plan to 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Top of the lightning round. Okay, and money. And we're starting with Brendan in New Jersey. Brendan. Hey, Kramer. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, partner? Oh, wow. You know, All right. these last two days have been crazy. I, yeah, um, nuts, nuts. I've been following Super Microcomputer, you know? Yeah, well, you and, know, okay, Super Microcomputer, they're sending NVIDIA down in the after hours, so I'd much rather see an NVIDIA. And by the way, NVIDIA, you own it, you do not trade it. Let's go to Adam in Illinois. Adam. Hey, Jim, here's a hearty booyah from Cubs country from the club oh, member, nice. a grateful club member. Um, thank you. I've got a question. Well, and you're welcome, and thank you. I've been poking around trying to find value on the software or infrastructure side to benefit from this AI gold rush, and I came across extreme networks. Kind of Ed Meyer down. Cord- we like- haven't had my accord in a long, long time. I've got to tell you, look, I think it's fine. I mean, it's just one of many companies that is not proprietary enough for me to be able to recommend, especially at this point when people seem to want to sell tech. Let's go to Mandy in Maryland. Mandy. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for taking my call. No problem, Mandy. Happy to have you on the show. Happy to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to do a shout out to your crew and thank also Mr. Larry Williams. It has been a very rough August for me. Of course. Um, I have bought 40 shares of ZBH. Okay, ZBH. That's a very tough one. Zimmer Biomet did not have a good quarter. When these guys don't have a good quarter, there's really no stop, and they're on the move. I say you have to recircle the wagons and buy GE Healthcare, which is much too cheap. And I feel like every time it goes down a dollar and a half, the Chapel Trust is going to want to buy it because it is that inexpensive. Let's go to Dustin in Colorado. Dustin. Uh, booyah. Hey, Jim. It's good to hear your voice, man. Ah, uh, same, uh, man. What's up? Yeah. What's up? Uh, well, I like the, uh, the vegetables in your, uh, in your garden. Uh, Thank you. Is uh, Sunrun uh, right for the Sunrun, Sunrun is one of the solar companies should be a bit of more of a financing company. The only first solar seems to be making the cut here, and that's the one that I would recommend. Let's go to Christopher in California. Christopher! Stuttering Booyah, always welcome. Always welcome. What's going on? Often, your idea about the secret symbol energy. Energy's good, and I've done it really well. But you know what? I have to tell you, I like this new gang that runs Southern SO with a 4% yield and a lot of nuke. I think that's the way to go. How about we go to Charles in Maryland? Charles. Yes, good afternoon, Mr. Kramer. How are you today? All right. How about you? What's happening? Good, good. A quick uh, question regarding the area and arena of uh, water shortages and uh, water desalinization. Uh, what are your thoughts regarding uh, that whole arena in terms of investing as an industry and more specifically Ecolab? Uh, what's your thoughts about that? Oh, Ecolab, I think they're okay. I'll tell you something. I know that it sounds like it's a little far afield, but Cintas has a similar business. I think Cintas is the way to go. By the way, that stock was on fire yesterday. Obviously, everything that's been on fire started going down today, but I think Cintas is better. Let's go to Jonathan in Pennsylvania. Jonathan. Booyah, Jim. Jonathan Booyah. and Jamison, PA. Big All right, thank man. you to you and your amazing staff for the priceless education and the investment. Our club. staff is so good. You. Best staff in show. What's up? Yeah, it was great to meet all of you at the uh, event you had back in May to NYC. Uh, calling about an insurance company with mortgage title and financial indemnity exposure, and I want your advice on two things. One, the best way to uncover an insurance company's combined ratio. Yes. And if you think near all time high, if Old Republic is safe or risky now. Thanks, Jim. 
look at it, look, they're a very good company, but when, when we talk insurance, we just talk chub. Because Evan Greenberg knows insurance better than anyone in America. I would even challenge Warren Buffett's team to know it as well as Evan, Evan Greenberg, and I think that Warren may actually agree with that. The one is chub, CB. I'm going to Tony in Texas. Tony. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? Yeah, I wanted to ask about Indy Semiconductor, and if it's a good buy because its price-to-sales ratio is high, but revenue projections are pretty lofty for next year. Indy, 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 Indy. Boy, I'll tell you something. This is, you know, this is self-driving. Self-driving has hit a snag. I'm not going to wreck Recommend a self-driving related semi-company. Just not right here right now, not just losing money. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Dr. Kramer. Yes. I got a uh, company here for you that I think their routers and switches would uh, complement AI and NVIDIA's chips. The ticker symbol is A-N-E-T. Oh, Arista Networks. A lot of people like Arista, and it does trade trade with NVIDIA. I actually think the much cheaper uh, and not as complimentary play is Cisco, CSCO. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, how did so many sectors become uninvestable? Kramer looks into the secular beatdown weighing on portfolios everywhere. Next. How did so many sectors become uninvestable in this stock market? It all kind of snuck up on us. The first and most visible were the financials, forming the largest group in the S&P 500. We used to have pretty good support for this group back when we had ultra-low interest rates. The banks could take your deposits and park them in longer-dated treasuries to pick up some extra yield. But then the Fed raised rates so rapidly that their bond portfolios got crushed, leading a handful of regional banks to go under, the most important being Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. Silicon Valley Bank died from the twin horror of poor investing on the yield curve and then a miserable set of venture capitalists and clients who took their money, ran, and then announced it all on Twitter. That caused an old-school bank run, and SVB couldn't handle it. First Republic also had a run, but it was a different sort. It tried to raise capital and failed, which led to a takeover by J.P. Morgan in a deal that was blessed by the authorities because it was the only way to stop this bank from going under. Final nail in the coffin, I felt, was when Toronto Dominion failed to acquire First Horizon. It got got scrapped in early May, although that was mainly because TD had some regulatory snafu itself. When no other buyer surfaced, though, we knew mergers wouldn't be able to save the group anymore. Since then, a regulatory clampdown on growth and insistence on higher capital requirements has made the bank stock much harder to own. Just actually almost impossible. Second, we lost retail. We lost in astonishing fashion. It was laid low by shrink, which is retail speak for shoplifting. There's so much stealing going on, mostly because it's so easy for professional criminals to unload this stuff online. Just sell it to a dozen online marketplaces that don't check where anything came from. I'm stunned that the federal government hasn't done anything at all against these marketplaces that have made shoplifting so lucrative. They want to kick it to the locals, the locals want it to the federal, so nothing gets done. Almost every retailer suffers from it, and few have any way to cope. Uh, we heard from about, uh, just today, Dollar Tree. 
Oh, there's no hope there. Uh, so you can only invest in a handful of retailers who have it under control. Uh, mainly the off-price chains. They seem to know how to do uh, security. And the club that is Costco. I think that the membership model helps Costco. You don't want to steal from a club you belong to, as does the fact that it's much harder to steal stuff in bulk. Hence why we own it for the charitable trust. Third, the healthcare stocks have become disastrous. A relatively unknown provision in the IRA gave the federal government a chance to negotiate prices with the drug companies for Medicare and Medicaid. That was always something that the drug companies hated. It's put a little in the group. An upcoming presidential election makes the pharma industry into a pinata. Meanwhile, the medical device stocks are struggling to come back from their COVID-era hangover. Fourth, aerospace has become hostage to the errors of Boeing, which are too numerous to name. There's also a snag with jet engines from RTX, the, uh, the company formerly known as Raytheon, that's kept it from going higher. As for defense, even with the war in Ukraine, the industry is not getting all the money it needs to expand here. Fifth, the consumer package good company, CPG, they have gotten the benefit of an improved supply chain. But it appears that's one and done, making it hard to support higher valuations for their stocks. And by the way, their dividends aren't big enough to support against the, how much the bonds pay for you right now. So even the best ones are going down. Nobody cares that they're making fortunes right now because it's perceived as a blip, especially when you can get 5% on short-term money. Six, oil and gas is a limit on it because President Biden's the furthest thing from pro-fossil uh, fuel president that I've ever seen in my entire life. Hard to invest in a group with the White House is actively gunning for, even if they're doing it to save the environment. Sure, there are some special situations that are working, but not enough to keep the proverbial index balls in the air. Hence the default to tech. Nearly every other major sector is so hard to own and tech's so easy. Well, not today, but you know what I mean. And portfolio managers always go with what's easy. Believe me, they'll be back buying tech the moment we get through this Federal Reserve Jackson Hole meeting and we get an all clear sounded. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.